Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Jake Neer, in for Stephen Henderson. One year ago today, Governor Gretchen Whitmer called a late-night press conference just hours after Michigan's presidential primary election. Her announcement would turn all of our lives upside down. The state had confirmed the first cases of the novel coronavirus in Michigan. In the days, weeks, and months ahead, schools, offices, restaurants, places of worship, concert venues, and most other gathering places would close in order to try to slow the spread of the virus. Hospital ICUs would fill with sick and dying patients. Many others would lose their livelihoods. In the hope that we as a society would band together to get through all of this together, would quickly vanish as political leaders sought and took advantage of opportunities to politicize the deadliest public health crisis most of us have ever lived through. Most of us didn't realize all of it would upend our lives for more than a year, and in total, 16,000 Michiganders are dead. And an untold number of others are still dealing with the long-term lingering effects of COVID-19. Today, though, one year later... There is some hope on the horizon. We now have three vaccines approved for emergency use. The vaccine rollout is finally starting to gain steam. And the number of cases, hospitalizations and deaths have been trending downward, although there is some concern about them coming back up right now. Optimistic projections are that the worst of the pandemic may be behind us, but we are not out of the woods yet. We want to hear from you all hour today. Please share your own stories of the very first days of the pandemic and the ways your life changed dramatically. Do you remember what you were doing the day or the days before everything came to a screeching halt? What about the days right after? Uh, Are you feeling hopeful and optimistic one year later? Or are you still feeling wary or unsure of the future? What are some of the unexpected silver linings of all this pandemic in your life? As always, the number to call in is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. And you can also leave your comments on Twitter using the hashtag Detroit Today. I'll start with my own personal feeling of hope right now. Today, on the one-year anniversary of the pandemic coming to Michigan, my 73-year-old dad, who is about to turn 74, is getting his first dose of the vaccine today, just a couple weeks after my mom became fully vaccinated. And I'm just so happy to see all of the relief and the emotions that people are having as they and their loved ones start receiving this real miracle of science that will possibly help us get some of our lives back. And a little later on in the show, we will hear from Lena Sun, a Washington Post health reporter, about what fully vaccinated people are able to do and will be able to do once they get their shots. Uh, But first, I want to welcome Dustin Walsh of Cranes Detroit Business, who has a new piece out titled The Week When Everything Changed and How the Business Community Lived It. Dustin, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks, Jake. 
So uh, before we get into your piece that you wrote, which I really, I really love that piece, uh, I'm hoping that you might be willing to reflect a little yourself on this past year in your own life. Um, you know, what have been some of the biggest challenges for you uh, and maybe some of the things that you're grateful for through all this? One of the things that I thought of when I knew you were coming on the show, we are both dads of little kids, which adds this uh, big kind of uh, wrinkle in, in trying to get through all this. But what, how, how has this all uh, played out for you? Well, yeah. So, so actually, the week that I that I wrote about the week that sort of changed everything, I was actually in Florida for my mother's wedding uh, with my family. Uh, I went to Disney World on March twelfth, two days after cases had been, um, you know, uh, discovered here in Michigan, um, which you know was was kind of a blowout fight between my wife and I about what the right thing to do was. But oh, wow. uh, we went anyway. I lost uh, shockingly. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, so, so it played out very different for me in that, that first week. Um, you know, I sort of was on the beach and, and life seemed to be carrying out pretty normally, um, where back home, you know, behind the scenes, things were sort of unfolding and got, uh, got messy fast. Um, but for the year, you know, it was, it was a year like everyone else experienced confusion. Um, not really sure what was okay to do, uh, particularly in the early months. Um, and then it was, you know, the, the upsides are obviously, as you mentioned, uh, I have twin five-year-olds. Um, I got to spend an inordinate amount of time with them, <laughs> yep. um, which is, which is great and, and trying and difficult. Um, but you know, those are, that's time that, 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 uh, you know, I wouldn't have had otherwise. Um, and then as it, as it wore on, it became even more challenging, right? Uh, school, uh, kindergarten for, uh, five-year-old's virtual kindergarten was was not a good thing. Um, we ended up pulling our children out, um, and just really, it's been it's been a difficult and extremely trying time of trying to navigate all of this. And I think that's for you know um, for everyone, you know, not just me or you or anyone else, but to, to, to every single citizen of the United States and maybe the world uh, has had to face something they've never done before. And um, you know, we'll have opportunities to reflect on it when this is all over, hopefully, and, and we'll be able to really pick out the good and bad. And and I want to make sure that we focus a lot of the time today uh, during the show on some of the um, the the ways that this has, you know, again, those silver linings that a lot of us have found, some of the blessings and all of this and the positives. But I think it's important to also note near the top two again, that number that 16,000 people here in Michigan are dead. I mean, that's roughly as if the entire city of Hazel Park had been wiped off the map in one year. Or for folks in Macomb County, if the entire city of Mount Clemens had been wiped off the map in one year. I mean, uh, try to try to help us put into context sort of the scale of the the tragedy that we've experienced here in Southeast Michigan specifically, because sometimes I feel like it, it actually is really hard for people to conceptualize this kind of mass death, because for most people, it's not happening in front of their eyes. It's taking place over a pro- prolonged period of time, uh, sort of out of view, unlike something like 9-11, let's say. But of course, just here in Michigan, we're talking about more than five 9-11s over the course of one year. Right. And I think that's the hard thing is, is, you know, we, you often hear the term K-shaped recovery, right? And so, you know, what that really meant is for 75% of the population, the pandemic from a economic standpoint has impacted no one. Uh, You're either doing the same or, or maybe even better, um, you know, uh, economically than you were before. Uh, But for the other 25%, your life has been upended. Um, And I think that that economic 
divergence is sort of similar to what we've seen from from a health standpoint as well. Um, you know, if you're living in the city of Detroit, you've lost a lot of friends and maybe some mm -hmm. family um, because of just the impact. You know, and it depends on it's it's geographic and and socioeconomic um, how this thing has played out. Um, you know, I don't have a giant long laundry list of people that I know that have died from COVID-19. I, I, I have one person um, really that, that was, you know, that I knew well enough to, to, to you know, have, have feelings about. Um, and that's, that's not common for some people. Some people have had, you know, dozens of people um, die. And so, you know, that's, that's what's been so challenging, particularly as this, as this virus became politicized is that there are people that literally are doing things that they view as jumping through hoops to, to make political leaders happy, but they're not there because they haven't been visible uh, or hasn't been visible. The, the other side, the, the, the real human suffering um, that has occurred in, in really pockets of our communities. Um, you know, and that's, that's, I think the, the been the biggest challenge, but yeah, you cannot, you cannot sugarcoat um, 16,000 Michiganders are, are dead from this in one year's time. It's, it's an, it's an, uh, an astounding number and, and sad. And, and we should all, you know, remember that as this moves forth. Yep. Um, you're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Jake Neer in for Stephen Henderson today. I'm talking with Dustin Walsh, who covers economic issues for Crane's Detroit business. Dustin wrote a, wrote a piece in Crane's titled, the week when everything changed and how the business community lived it. It takes a very close look at a lot of personal stories around the first days of the pandemic. And, and those stories are what we want to hear from you as well, the listeners today. Um, call in and tell us, you know, how your life has changed over the past years. What are your memories of the first days of this pandemic coming to Michigan one year ago? What was happening in your life before the world came to this screeching halt? And of course, how did it affect you and your family? How are you feeling now, one year later? Are you hopeful, pessimistic? Are you tired, maybe all of the above? Uh, we especially want to hear what's making you feel hopeful today on the anniversary of the first confirmed cases of COVID in Michigan. And, you know, what are some of those silver linings, the unexpected blessings you found during this pandemic? Again, the number is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also use the hashtag Detroit Today on Twitter. And I want to start with Elise in Hamtramck today. Elise, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, thank you. Go ahead. Hello. Hello. Oh, so um, a year ago today, I remember hearing uh, Governor Whitmer announcing those first cases, and I had actually just landed a really amazing job working um, in the home of a private family. And um, I think on my second day, they announced that the schools were closing. So they informed me, you know, we're hopping on a plane, we're going to Florida, and you're coming with us. Wow. So I said, okay, um, you know, <laughs> brand new job. You know, we thought two weeks. Um, I was there for five weeks, you know, full quarantine, couldn't go even to the grocery store. Everything was delivered. No walks, no nothing. Beach was closed, the whole deal. Um, you know, and I had known this family for about three days and then fully quarantined with them for, I was there for five weeks. Um, and then, you know, came back and things started to feel a little bit more normal, but obviously it, it got more and more dangerous. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, so basically just uh, 
you know, coming out of that was so wild, just being stuck down there, you know. And then the feeling of wanting to be closer to my family and friends that I was so worried about. But even if I was here, I wouldn't be able to see them anyway. So it was kind of this, you know, emotional, like, push and pull all the time. So. Yeah, yeah. Elise, uh, I really appreciate you calling in and sharing that story. And uh, Dustin, sounds like um, not surprising, I guess, a lot of Michiganders down in Florida in March of last year. Um, but, uh, you know, somewhat, sort of interesting that that's similar to your story, that you're both down in Florida for that. Um, but I want to uh, also take Ben here in St. Clair Shores. Ben, welcome to Detroit Today. Hello, Jake. Good morning. Yeah, what would you like to say? I spoke with Stephen about, well, shortly after uh, the governor shut us down this month last year, and I had already been wearing the surgical mask. Uh, I watch PBS TV overseas, so I saw something wicked this way coming. Plus, uh, where I work at, it helps to keep the uh, tailpipe emissions from killing me. Um I also observed at work before I went out on medical leave that a lot of people were just totally ignoring the advice of the doctors and science, mm. seeing that close up. And it was a blessing. I was already self-sequestered after my wife died five years ago and uh, recognizing human behavior, having worked in the uh, social work field. It's disconcerting. Going forward, I don't think it's going to be great. Even after we get all of this vaccination done, people are still going to be slothful about good hygiene. Mm. Thanks. Well, Ben, I, I really appreciate you calling in and, and sharing that story. And Dustin, what what I, I'm really glad that we got Ben in before uh, we, we got into your piece, because part of what he's talking about there was the way that employers uh, reacted to this, especially early on in the pandemic. Um, and, uh, you know, talk a little bit more from a from a 10,000 foot view of of how employers uh, sort of were trying to grapple with this in the days right after the governor's announcement and, and before she sort of made the decision to shut so many sectors down, uh, which took some of the decision making out of their hands. Um, but when they were in, in these first few days uh, were really tough for a lot of business owners because they were making life and death, death decisions. Right. And I think that's the, you know, that's been the hard part of, of kind of revisiting this is I think when you're in the moment of, of distress and sort of as this thing is playing out, you either kind of were in two camps, right? You, you either were sort of ignoring things because again, we had seen, you know, SARS, we had seen Ebola, like those things killed people, but it, but it generally wasn't a widespread problem. Um, so, so, you know, we, we sort of sat on this perch in the United States, right, of not seeing these things wreak the havoc they had in other countries, um, you know, whether that been West Africa or, or parts of Europe, uh, you know, with, with previous or even uh, Asia with previous viruses. So we sort of had this, I think, in, in particularly I did as well, I think, in the beginning of like, OK, well, maybe this isn't as bad. Um, I think when things changed for me was, you know, I, I cover the automotive industry quite, quite heavily. Um, and sort of watching their behavior in China, how they were sort of locking things down and how things were really difficult, uh, particularly in Wuhan, um, as that virus just decimated in the early days. And then this, it, by the time it reached the United States, I think business leaders were starting to go, okay, what do I do now? Like, are, do we shut down? Um, 
there was just this knowledge vacuum, right? Because we knew nothing about the virus, right? No one was wearing masks. Um, we were really scared of it being touch related, right? So we mm -hmm. used to like spray down our groceries. Um, and so, you know, I think that was the difference. And, and you looked at the automotive manufacturing plants and, and they didn't want to shut down, obviously, because they wanted to keep working and, and keep uh, producing vehicles. And so there were these things where it's like, okay, is this dangerous? Is this not dangerous? You know, um, and really watching people react to that was interesting. In my piece, for instance, I talked to uh, two, two interviews really stuck out with me. Um, one was Sami Aid, uh, the owner of Layla uh, and, and a few other restaurants. Um, you know, he was flying home on March 11th. Uh, so the day after the first cases were, di were diagnosed here in, in Michigan um, from, from Tennessee visiting friends. And, and he had listened to a podcast, right, as you do on a plane. And he had heard a, an epidemiologist, a, a very popular epidemiologist, Michael Osterholm. And he talked about sort of the fear and the, what the potential was here. Um, and as he said, he, he became, he was paralyzed by it. He immediately wrote an email on the plane to his management um, to talk about shutting down a restaurant that only, uh, you know, a few weeks earlier had been nominated for a James Beard Foundation Award. Right. Um, yeah. Was, was the, by far the most popular restaurant in Michigan um, and, and w was really seeing that play out. And he knew, you know, after listening to that, that this was going to be bad. Um, and, and so he was already making the decision of whether he needed to shut down. Uh, and then, you know, and then Ron Hall Jr. I'm uh, sorry, Ron Hall, he doesn't like to go by Jr. anymore. <laughs> um, you know, he's the CEO of, of, of Bridgewater Interiors, which is a joint venture with Adiant that makes seats. Um, they were on the shop floor, you know, just trying to show confidence, like, hey, like, we don't know what's going to happen, but we're here with you as executives. Um, and and he was terrified. And, and by the way, he's a he's an army veteran that, that served in Kuwait and uh, in, in, in Iraq. Yeah. Um, and you know, that he said it was the first time he's ever been scared uh, in his professional life since serving um, in the Middle East. Yeah, it, it's, so, inter it's interesting that you isolated those two stories. Those were exactly the two stories that stuck out to me and that I wanted to, to talk to you about. Um, and we will we'll talk more about them, but we need to take a quick break really quick. And after this, we are going to continue this conversation with Dustin Walsh here on Detroit Today. And we are going to get to more of your stories. Uh, how are you feeling one year into this pandemic? Talk about what you were doing when you first heard what was happening and that cases had come to Michigan, and how did it change your life dramatically? The number on the lines is 313-577-1019. Again, that's 313-577-1019. Annette in Detroit, you're next after this. Music, culture, and community every day on 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Jake Neer in for Stephen Henderson today on the one year anniversary of the first confirmed cases of coronavirus being announced 
here in Michigan. We are, are talking about that all hour today. And right now we're joined by Dustin Walsh, who covers economic issues for Crane's Detroit business. He wrote a piece in Crane's titled The Week When Everything Changed and How the Business Community Lived It. A little later, we'll talk with Lena Sun with The Washington Post about what people can do and what they still shouldn't do if they're fully vaccinated. But we really want to hear your stories all hour about how this year has played out for you and your life. The number on the lines is 313-577-1019. And Dustin, um, you know, before we get back to the phones, I wanted to to let you finish the uh, what you were talking about right before the break. You were talking about Ron Hall, who is the CEO, the president and CEO of Detroit-based automotive seating supplier Bridgewater Interiors, and uh, who's also, as you mentioned, an Army veteran of the Gulf War. And something about that story that really stuck out to me and sort of gripped me was the it seems like he is still racked with guilt uh, in some ways uh, a year later now talking about um, whether he should have stopped production sooner, um, you know, the second guessing a lot of the decisions that he made there. And I think that uh, as we were talking about that, is, that is sort of emblematic of a lot of the early days for business owners, especially here in Michigan, um, that that they were the ones that were forced to make these decisions. But talk a little bit more about that conversation that you had with Ron uh, Ron Hall and 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 sort of again that that second guessing that it seems like he's still doing today. Yeah, you could tell in the interview. I mean, he's 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 obviously um, a thoughtful person um, and and truly seems to care about his workforce. Uh, but he was scared for his own safety when he was in there. So, so you know, he kept thinking, well, if I'm scared for my own safety, what am I doing to to my employees? Um, you know, but but again, they had orders, you know, from from you know their customers to produce seats, uh, and the and the industry wasn't shut down. And you know, and he, as he said, he's you know he had no misgivings about about doing it. Like you know, he was faced with a terrible decision, and he, he claims he flinched. You know, he's like, I did what what I was what I was supposed to do, what everyone else was doing. Um, you know, he said he was reluctant to push the red button. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's definitely racked with, with some guilt. Um, uh, you know, he had some people get very sick and I think he feels bad about that and, and, and felt that, well, if I had raised my hand earlier and said, we can't do this anymore, you know, could those people have been spared? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it's a little unfair to, to, to put it on him as well or, or anyone else. Cause we didn't know what was happening. Sure. Right. Um, no, no one knew. Uh, C- CEOs on. are not, uh, you know, um, epidemiologists. You know. Right. Right. And there's so they're just part of the system that that's working to to basically produce, you know, products and money. Um, and so he, you know, he, he. But as I said, he'll forever wonder whether he should have raised his hand, said the risk is too high, we're done. Hmm. Um, and and you know, as he said, for the rest of his career, he'll wonder if that was the biggest mistake he's ever made. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I think I think you know. Uh, people are asking themselves those questions, right? Like I went to Disney world on March 12th, which is obviously pales in comparison to anything uh, Ron Hall did, but, but you know, I, I was terrified. I, sure. I, and, and, you know, I, luckily no one got sick, but if someone did, I would have regretted that regretted going for the rest of my life. Sure. Well, the number on the lines again is 313-577-1019. You can also leave your comments and stories on Twitter using the hashtag Detroit Today. I want to go to Annette now in Detroit. Annette, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Yeah. Hope things are well with you. You too. I am a nurse in uh, Detroit. That's the best way to say it. When I first read about it in December of 2019, I knew it was happening and it would spread. I asked at the beginning of January, what are we going to do? My management laughed in nursing and said, 
oh, it will never come here. That We've had COVID a long time before. We have had COVID. We don't have it in the same sense. And we were with children, so therefore we weren't given all the PPE equipment because it was going towards the adults. Mm. We as individuals brought in our own um, hand sanitizers. When we ran out, we kept on uh, manning it that way so we could do well. What I do not like is that they cut back our hours. Everybody believes that nurses are never a field that they cut back, and they have been because we do not have the patients coming into the hospital with fear of the unknown. Mm. And I'm hoping that of all age groups, people start realizing that you might have symptoms of other things, and you have to look into your cardiac conditions, cancer conditions, and other things so you can prevent problems from going on with your own health. Yeah. I I find it absolutely ridiculous. It's not a political thing. It's a health thing. So why aren't people wearing face coverings and taking care of the distancing so that we can try to prevent the illness from spreading, let alone the economy opening up? It should never have been a political fight. Annette, I really appreciate your story and you calling in and listening and, and the work that you do. I know that it's it's cliche at this point, and I hope it doesn't ring hollow, but uh, healthcare workers, especially nurses and people working in emergency medicine, ICUs, um, just uh, I cannot imagine what you've gone through this past year, and uh, it breaks my heart, and I just uh, am so thankful to the work that you do. And, and I, I think that uh, I can speak for everyone here and say that that's, um, you know, something that, that is, uh, you know, hangs heavy in our hearts, uh, thinking about um, what you've had to go through through this. So thanks again, Annette. I really appreciate that. Uh, I want to go to Patty now in Dearborn. Patty, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi. Hi. What would you like to say? Oh, I was just going to tell you about what happened to me last year. Yeah. What, what were you doing um, a year ago? A year ago, I was actually, I had gone from Dearborn up to Oscoda, Michigan. My brother and his wife were in emergency, and because I'm a trained nurse, I volunteered to help. My brother's wife had been diagnosed with a terminal cancer, and um, so I went up there, and I no sooner got up there than my son called from Boston and said, where are you? And I said, told him, and he said, stay there. You'll be safer up there. Wow. And I said, okay. But I had to tell him that part of what we were doing was going in and out of hospitals to get treatment for the cancer. Wow. Yeah. So we were... And, and we what were, were the... I'm curious, Patty, what were people doing at the time in terms of, uh, you know, visitor policies and, and all that? Oh. I mean, did you, did you feel like you were in danger as you were doing that? Absolutely, because I, because I was up north... And at that time, you know, if you go a year, we only had three cases in Michigan, Mm -hmm. and not a single one was north of Saginaw. So everybody up there was kind of just treating it like something that wasn't their problem. It was downstate. Right. And when I would, one of the times I took my sister-in-law into the hospital for a doctor's appointment, I wanted to use one of their wheelchairs, so I asked the nurse working behind the desk if, if she had anything to wipe it down with, because I was already thinking, as a nurse, 
first of all, I do that anyways before COVID. If I'm going to borrow a hospital wheelchair, I like the places where I put my hands and where my person puts their hands to be clean. And she said, we wipe those down once a day. Wow. Wow. And I said, do you have a wipe, though? And she said, no, I don't. So I was at that time wearing gloves and a mask, even though that wasn't required. And like I said, there were were only three cases in Michigan. But because I'm a nurse and my son had sent me some things from the WHO, Mm -hmm. I was... uh, I was very worried. Yeah, yeah. Uh, referring to the World Health Organization there, I, I assume. Uh, Patty, I really appreciate you uh, uh, sending this to us or giving, uh, sharing this with us. And uh, thanks again for listening and uh, for, for calling in. Really appreciate that. Uh, Craig in Selfield, uh, what are you, what's on your mind, Craig? Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, what would you like oh. to say? One year from ago, um, I'm sitting at my desk working in the office, and I get tapped on the shoulder saying, pack up everything and go home. And um, that was March 8th, and I've been working from home since then. Um, I'm loving the five-second commute, but (laughs) what I'm concerned with is, uh, you know, when the the mandate ends that they're returning office workers back to work, how are companies going to handle that? Now, yeah. what I'm assuming is productivity is going to be the key. Employer, employees who are still product, productive will be allowed to have that option. But company culture is going to want people back in the office. They're going to be right. concerned with not having that, that interaction between employees. Yeah. And that, I think that companies are going to be worried about their culture. However, depending on what industry you're in, and the productivity, that's going to dictate companies not forcing individuals back to work. Craig, I'm so glad that you called in with that comment. Thank you so much. And, and I'm, I'm so glad that we uh, got to that right before uh, I went back to Dustin Walsh, who, of course, covers economic issues for Crane's Detroit business. Dustin, um, you know, this issue of work from home uh, is something a lot of people are talking about. But how are employer are you hearing anything from employers here in southeast michigan about what what happens going forward and sort of how this has played out for them over the past year yeah absolutely i mean so you're seeing sort of a, a two things happening so the first thing is that a lot of employers particularly ones that have a lot of office workers the knowledge economy quote unquote um are getting rid of getting office space right um and they're also transitioning to a what they call hotel style um offices, which means that, the you know, there's no assigned seating. They just have the same, you know, kind of cubes laid out. You come in, you sit wherever you want, you do mm. what you need to do and get out. Um, that seems to be the popular thing right now because a lot of these, you know, office type uh, companies are seeing that their employees don't want to come back. Um, they're, they're seeing a different a mix of it, but a lot of employees want to come back, but only for big meetings or maybe a couple days a week. Um, they don't want to do the five day a week, you know, uh, multi hour commute in traffic um, thing anymore. Um, and so you're seeing a lot of that. And I think it also is going to depend, you know, um, where your leaders sit from a managerial standpoint, right? Some leaders are are sort of hawks on the time clock and, and, and stuff. And so, you know, some of that residual may be there and there may be some pressure to, to return to the office. Um, but I think most uh, employers are seeing that. You know, they want people back. They do. But they, they, they also are trying to um, figure out ways that only the people that want to be back part time can come back part time and, and sort of manage that situation. 
And I, I wonder if it might, and maybe this is an optimistic uh, economic sort of outlook, but, um, you know, as people re-enter the workforce or, you know, as, as companies are looking for talent, if this will become a sort of a key feature in trying to attract talent to your company, uh, whether or not you're offering uh, this ability to, to continue to work from home now that people are seeing the benefits of that. Right. And that's absolutely happening. You're seeing it happen at, uh, at rocket companies. You're seeing it happen at other uh, large companies in Metro Detroit where they, they're now accessing talent in states that aren't Michigan. Um, you know, they're hiring people in Colorado or California and it's like, Hey, we're all working from home anyway. You can do your job from home. Um, uh, the long-term sustainability that I don't know. And also, you know, there is an economic threat there to, to the sector that has been impacted, the service sectors. Um, you know, if you're getting rid of office space, that's fewer janitorial services. Uh, you're not coming downtown to eat lunch or to do your dry cleaning. Um, you know, there, there's big question marks to be had. You know, I wrote a column a few weeks ago saying, you know, if you really want to immediately help the economy, get vaccinated and get back to the office. Cause that's, that's the best thing that you're going to do for the people that are most impacted. Mm. Um, obviously people want a fundamental change. People don't want to go back to work. Um, and, and, you know, have other reasons for not wanting to do that, but they're, they're, those choices do have consequences, um, and they're economic and, and, you know, we'll, we'll see those play out over time. Yeah. All right. Dustin Walsh, uh, covers economic issues for Cranes Detroit business. Thank you again for taking the time to join us here on Detroit today. Really appreciate it. Hey, thank you, Jake. Appreciate it. All right. Coming up, we will look at what you can do and still can't do once you have your COVID vaccines. And we will get to more calls. John in Southfield, Craig in Southfield, uh, Sean in River Rouge. You're next on Detroit Today.